from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We don't know how that works in pregnant women vaccinated and still getting COVID. So it's just very terrifying. Does the doctor think that any time in the future that hospitals might be turning away patients that are not protected against COVID-19 with a vaccination? And I was hesitant at first, um, but I have no side effects for my vaccination and I'm so grateful for the protection. And it's hard and I am human and I get angry too. You want to say, what is wrong with you? You reframe the thought in your head to say, what happened to you? I'm Sarah Fenske. Few groups of Americans have a lower vaccination rate than pregnant women. Across the U.S., only about 16 percent are fully vaccinated. And as the pandemic's third wave continues to rise in Missouri, that is leading to some terrible outcomes. And joining us today with the details is Dr. Ebony Carter. She is an associate professor and chief of the Clinical Research Division in Obstetrics and Gynecology at Washington University. Dr. Carter, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So that statistic I referenced just there, just 16% of pregnant women fully vaccinated. Why are so few pregnant women getting this vaccine? Um, I think there are a few reasons. One one thing is that when you're pregnant, you don't want to do anything that could potentially harm the little baby that you are, you know, trying so hard to safely bring into the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think we're just kind of conditioned not to do anything in pregnancy. The other thing is when the vaccines were rolled out last December, I was very honest with my patients by saying that pregnant and lactating patients were systematically excluded from all of the vaccine trials. And so while the vaccine trials suggest that it was a home run, like 95% effectiveness for a vaccine is almost unheard of. Like the flu is only about 60%. So Hmm. while it was great, pregnant patients weren't in that trial. So there was no reason to think that it would be different, but we just didn't know. So I think that it's, it's the fear of the unknown that has pushed that number so low. But in the meantime, since December, when I first started doing this counseling, I just looked it up, so I'm telling you the up-to-date number, 147,000 pregnant patients have been vaccinated in the United States to today. I just looked at the CDC website. Um, with really, like, there's not a signal for harm. So there's not a higher risk of preterm birth or a miscarriage or, um, you know, all of the scary things that are kind of out there in, in social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so We have data now that we did not have available back in December that suggests that vaccination with the COVID vaccine is infinitely safer than getting infected with COVID. Hmm. So there was some hesitation there. There may have been good reason for that hesitation. But looking at what you're looking at now, I mean, when you talk to your patients, are you saying unequivocally, yeah, get this vaccine even while you're pregnant? Yes, I am. So early on, I basically would go through the pros and the cons and the things that we knew and the things that we didn't know. And I, we would do shared decision making. So based on what I said, based on, you know, can you stay at home? What, what is your risk? Then make the best decision for you and your family. Um, the American College of OBGYN um, and all of the major societies that deal with pregnancy um, in the last couple of weeks have all changed their guidance from shared decision making to we recommend vaccination with really good reason because pregnant people are prone to getting really sick with COVID. And, and if you, uh, this is the way that I explain it to my patients. So you have this little foreign alien living inside of your body for nine months, and you do not want your body to attack that foreign being inside of you. So, mm-hmm. you know, your, your immune system kind of tamps down a little bit so that you don't attack that baby, which is great for the baby 
that is not good for you. Because that means if you get the flu, you're more likely to get sick or end up in the ICU. Same thing is true for COVID. If you get COVID infection, your risk of ending up in the intensive care unit, three times higher than the non-pregnant version of you. Your risk of needing a machine to breathe for you, three times higher. Your risk for death is twice as high than when you're not pregnant. And so, you know, I I tell my patients, I don't want to scare you Mm -hmm. because the absolute risk of that happening is not really, really high. But it is so much higher than if you're not pregnant, and it's preventable. Like, Last year, I didn't have the tools that I have at my disposal. We were just doing the best that we could. Now, my heart grieves for what I am seeing in our hospitals right now because it is largely preventable. So what you're seeing in your hospital right now, are you seeing a lot of young pregnant women coming in with with bad cases of COVID? Yes. And, And the thing is, I can't believe that we're 18 months into this ordeal and it's the worst that we've seen. So I, I can paint a picture for you that goes back to, to last March, right? So we have looked at our um, weekly totals of COVID, our percent of patients um, positive across our Barnes Jewish Christian healthcare system weekly since around May when we started doing universal testing on labor and delivery. Um, and the numbers have varied. I remember at one point last year, it got up to 13% positive on one of our floors across the BJ system. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? But around February, there were weeks where we had no patients who were COVID positive. And it would bounce around between February and May, right? Like zero to 5%, but it was much lower. And I was feeling like, oh, breathing a sigh of relief. We've gotten through this. Yeah. Um, and, and also through the last year, I'm a high-risk obstetrician, but young, healthy people don't end up in the intensive care unit. Like that's not where I like to spend most of my time as, a, as an obstetrician, right? Right. But for the last year, when I would round in the hospital, the ICU was one of our stops because we always had pregnant patients with COVID who were in the ICU. And it was heartbreaking for those families. But around February, March, that kind of stopped. And so it felt like we were going back to normal until a few weeks ago when the rates started climbing again. The ICU came right back into my rotation schedule. So I'm going there every time I'm rounding up patients in the hospital. And in one of our hospitals, the rate of COVID positive on labor and delivery was 20% last week. Um, it's the highest that I've ever seen at the entire pandemic. And so I'm just like, what is happening? It's deja vu in the worst possible way because, you know, end of life decisions that you have with patients who are 80, we don't tend to have to have those in OB, but I'm having them now. So, you know, as a patient is struggling to breathe and she's just trying to like gasp for air and I'm saying, okay, if the baby is in distress too, do you want me to do a C-section for the baby? If you can't make decisions for yourself, who do you love and trust to make those decisions for you? Young, healthy people should not have to have those conversations when, like, we should be talking about, like, you know, a gender reveal party and, and fun baby stuff, right? We shouldn't be talking about end-of-life care, and that's what's happening. Um, and it's heartbreaking, that is heartbreaking. And these women, it sounds like they're really suffering. They haven't been sent there as a precautionary measure. They're, they're in the middle of, of what is cautionary. Um, are the babies suffering as well, the, the fetuses inside the mother? Yeah, so a really good question. So um, with moms who have COVID, they definitely have worse pregnancy outcomes. So we see much higher rates of preterm birth. And it's not necessarily they just go into labor early. It's that sometimes mom is so sick that we end up having to deliver the baby as a result. Um, Higher rates of C-section. So, I mean, almost every pregnancy complication you can think of 
gets worse when you have COVID because, you know, I would say healthy mommy, healthy baby, you know, if mom is sick, then baby is, is at infinite risk. And so when my patients say, I don't want to do anything that can harm my baby, um, I'm not getting the vaccine, I say, I respect that, of course. I want the best thing for your baby too. But people act like the choices are like vaccine or I'm not going to get anything and I'll be cool. It's not true. There's two choices, right? Each of us to get out of this pandemic, we have but two choices. Choice one is you get the vaccine and maybe you have a fever, take some Tylenol, it goes away. Maybe you feel like you have to flu for a couple of days, but like, right, it's self-limited and it's gone. Or you get COVID and hopefully you're in that lucky number that has no consequences from it. But a lot of people do have consequences. And, and even in pregnancy, there was a really good study out of the University of California, San Francisco, that showed they followed people with symptomatic COVID in pregnancy eight weeks out. And you know that eight weeks out, 25% of patients still had symptoms. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't benign stuff. Like, they still couldn't taste or smell. They still were short of breath. They were still having headaches. So I think that people act like I'm not going to get vaccinated. And it's like, okay, then that means you're going to get COVID, right? Like those are the two choices. Yeah. Eventually this thing will find you. Yes. And so if you can be protected and minimize all of those risks, why wouldn't you? And, and the other piece that I, that I say, and I, I'm really trying to be honest and balanced because people deserve to have all the information when they're faced with these decisions. What about the baby? So Um, These babies are going to be born into a world where COVID and the Delta variant are, right now we're in a pandemic, but they're going to be endemic. They're going to be everywhere. And so what protection does that baby have? And right now, even my three little girls, like, you know, vaccination is for if you're 12 and up. So our kids aren't protected. When will those babies be eligible to get vaccinated? I have no idea. The only shot that those babies have at any protection is through mom. So if mom gets vaccinated and then passes antibodies, the little soldiers in our bodies that go and fight infection, those those antibodies or those little soldiers have been found in the umbilical cord blood. And so I can't say for sure, does that protect the newborn? But it's certainly suggested if mom is passing along those antibodies. And same thing with breast milk. So we did our own study at WashU. It's kind of funny. It's like the only study I've ever been also an investigator for and a patient in because I was breastfeeding and I wanted to know what was in my breast milk too. So I was, you know, a volunteer for the study and we saw that there were antibodies, those little soldiers against COVID in the breast milk. Hmm. Um, That suggests, you know, we don't know for sure because we haven't followed it out long enough, but that suggests that moms are passing on protection to babies. So I would say, you know, you're it's very unlikely that you're harming your baby through vaccination. And it's very likely that you're probably giving that kid some protection. Hmm. Well, if you're listening to our conversation right now with Dr. Ebony Carter, we're curious to hear from you. If you have a question about pregnancy um, as it relates to COVID-19, a question about vaccines as they relate to pregnancy, or maybe you're a pregnant woman who had to deal with this choice and you made your choice. We're curious how you feel about that choice today. Our phone lines are open. Call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Uh, Dr. Carter, you mentioned that you are seeing a lot of patients who are dealing with this right now. They are in the ICU getting treated. Do you have the capacity to take on more women if this trend continues? I think that's, thank you for asking that question, because that's the other hidden part of this. So part of working at Barnes Jewish Hospital, um, that I count as a joy, is that we take patients from all over the state of Missouri. I mean, we have patients who live five hours away. And if a, if a rural doctor calls and says, I need help with this patient now, my only question is, is she stable for transfer? Because I will take her. Like, that is part of our mission, is to help all of the doctors in our region to care for really sick pregnant patients. Um, 
but that's changing. So as all of our beds are full and we don't have ICU beds before, I can in good conscience take a patient from Springfield or from, from Joplin. I need to make sure, can we care for her here? Do we have ICU beds in the COVID ICU? Do we have ICU beds you know, if she doesn't have COVID. So all, all of these extra little checks and balances have to happen now so that we make sure that we're only, that we're, that we're meeting our capacity to actually provide good care to people. Um, and that's really hard. If you're a doc in the middle of nowhere without a whole lot of resources, I want to be able to help you. And so this is COVID or non-COVID, right? If a, what if a patient doesn't have a COVID problem? Let's say she's 24 weeks, is about to deliver this super early baby, and they can't take care of that baby there, and we need to have that baby here. I just want to be able to say, yes, come. And those, those decisions are getting much harder as we exhaust our healthcare system. Like all of the routine pregnancy complications are still happening, but COVID is pushing us to the brink in terms of just stretching everyone's ability. So um, we are doing the best that we can. I think we're still providing excellent care for patients, but these are decisions that we shouldn't have to make, right? My, my answer should be yes, come one, come all. If you are sick and need help and are pregnant, we have you. And we're still doing that. But I, I worry that the system is just being stretched to the max. Our guest today is Dr. Ebony Carter. She's an associate professor and chief of the clinical research division in obstetrics and gynecology at Washington University. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Dr. Carter. We also hope to take some of your calls. Uh, this is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. And now back to our conversation. We're talking today about pregnant women and COVID-19. Our guest is Dr. Ebony Carter. She's an associate professor and chief of the clinical research division in obstetrics and gynecology at Washington University. Our phone lines are open here. If you want to give us a call, it's 314-382-8255. Again, that's 382-TALK. I'm going to go to the phone lines. Uh, Caitlin is calling from St. Louis. Caitlin, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you. Uh, tell us about your experience. So I am 37 weeks pregnant um, as of this week, and I got both Pfizer um, shots in February. I think it was, uh, gosh, six and, eight, six and nine weeks when I got it done, um, and I had no side effects. Baby and I are very healthy, and I am so relieved and thrilled that I did it. Wow, I am so glad to hear that, Caitlin. And you were pretty early. You did this in February. Was that a decision you made there with your physician, or you just went for it? Yes, he encouraged it um, from the very beginning, the minute that I got um, a positive pregnancy test. Um, it encouraged me to go right away, and I wanted to do it uh, immediately just for the anxiety of the, to ease the anxiety of the past couple of years, but also I believe very strongly in and the efficacy of vaccines. Hmm. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad you're doing well. Dr. Carter, it's got to be great to hear this story from Caitlin. It is music to my ears because that means that she's protected and there's a good chance that her baby is too. So I'm so happy for you. And Caitlin, we wish you the best of luck. 37 weeks. Sounds like you could be getting some happy news any day now. Um, I hope for your sake everything sure, goes so. amazing. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. In advance. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Maggie is calling from Rolla. Uh, Maggie, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks um, for joining I was, us. I was calling because I was pregnant at the beginning of the pandemic. I actually had my baby a little over a year ago. 
But I was so interested in the part of the conversation where you were having where you said that the antibodies from I'm fully vaccinated. We've been vaccinated since May. And I was hesitant at first, um, but I have no side effects from my vaccination and I'm so grateful for the protection. And I'm actually pumping my breast milk right now, but um, I've donated to 10 babies so far. And I was just so amazed to hear that I might actually be protecting those kids that I'm donating to as well. Wow, Maggie, that is an amazing story there. Dr. Carter, is it possible that this donated breast milk that Maggie is supplying 10 babies, um, that this could be helping all of them too? It is possible. And, you know, I want to be careful because there's going to have to be a lot more studies so that you know what does having antibodies in the breast milk mean for the babies who are drinking it, right? So if we if we take what we know from other vaccines, like the flu vaccine that we give in pregnancy or the pertussis vaccine, those certainly seem to give babies protection. So, I mean, in the literature, it's well established. It's just that COVID is so new that I don't have those studies yet. But everything I know about vaccine research suggests that these babies should be protected from COVID as well. Hmm. And that's I'm, I'm hoping for the same with my little one who got my vaccinated breast milk. Well, man, that's really cool. And how good, Maggie, I'm glad to hear about your good outcome and also that you're out there donating. That's awesome. So, Maggie, thank you for that call. Um, another voice we want to hear from here. Last week, our producer, Emily Woodbury, spoke with Tiffany Sellers. She's an emergency room nurse at SSM Health St. Mary's Hospital. She's pregnant with twins. Now, before that latest CDC advice for pregnant women, the advice was to get vaccinated a bit later in the late second trimester, maybe early third. So Tiffany waited until 29 weeks for the first dose, and she'll be going back for her second dose on the 24th. Here's what she told us about what's on her mind right now amid this third wave of infections. Getting COVID is very scary for pregnant women. I've read many studies where outcomes are not good for mother or baby. When a woman is diagnosed with COVID, especially in the third trimester, lung space is already limited in the third trimester, especially. And then you get COVID and your lungs are working double, triple time to do the effort to keep by your body working, not only for you, but for baby, in my case, babies. So I'm just terrified to get COVID because like I said, the public doesn't know that like you can still get COVID even with a vaccine, but however, your viral load will be lower. So I may get a lesser illness, but we don't know how that works in pregnant women vaccinated and still getting COVID. There could still be detrimental consequences for me or my babies. So it's just very terrifying. So that's Tiffany Sellers. Again, she's an emergency room nurse, so she knows just how serious these COVID cases are for pregnant patients. Dr. Carter, I'm curious to hear, with these pregnant women that are dealing with COVID and having such such difficult outcomes, um, are you seeing that for women who've been vaccinated as well, that they're suffering from breakthrough infections and ending up, say, in the ICU? So I, in my clinical experience, have not seen breakthrough infections breakthrough infection uh, with pregnant patients with COVID and breakthrough infections overall, even though I think they're getting a lot of press and a lot of coverage, it's like less than 0.29%. Mm-hmm. So it's exceedingly low. So the patients that I am caring for in the ICUs and the patients that I'm seeing are not vaccinated. Um, the other thing that I will say is, you know, COVID in and, itself, in and of itself is not what scares me. It's the consequences. It's people who end up being hospitalized because they can't breathe or needing a machine to like breathe for them or a machine to function as their heart. That's what scares me. Um, 
if you're vaccinated and you have a breakthrough infection, it's most likely going to be a very mild version, a much more mild version than you would have had if you didn't have the vaccine. And so if COVID ends up being something like the common cold, where you go through a box of tissues and you feel kind of flu-like for a few days, if that's what it does to you, who cares? What you actually care about is if you end up sick in the hospital or dying. The vaccines are addressing that beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I, I want to keep things in perspective. COVID infection in and of itself is not like the worst thing in the world. What, we, what we're trying to prevent are the consequences of it. And I think, I think that's a really important point. Yeah. And you are not seeing that with vaccinated patients. They are not having those consequences. So you're dealing with all these cases. You guys are slammed again. Doesn't make you angry that these these cases are preventable, that if people had gotten the vaccines, they wouldn't be in your ICU. Yeah, it's interesting because I um, spend all week in clinic counseling patients to get the COVID vaccine. So I looked at our numbers. We actually just published a paper showing that only about 22% of patients coming into our labor and delivery were vaccinated. Um, So I spent all week counseling, and I had a medical student with me last week, and I joked, I'm like, you're sick of hearing my spiel, aren't you? Because every single patient, I end the visit by saying, so have you been vaccinated, or what are you thinking about the vaccine, just to figure out where they are. So I, I feel like I am like, blowing up my air all week doing that. And then I go into the hospital for the weekend to round and I'm in the ICU taking care of patients who have a machine breathing for them who are not right. Like it's, it's, it feels like almost futile and frustrating because the uptake is so low and the consequences are so extreme. And I will tell you, I am heartbroken. I am exhausted. I don't know that I can do this again because the last 18 months have been the hardest 18 months professionally. But I I think that as people feel like vaccination is a, you know, kind of an autonomous personal decision and they're going to do whatever they want to do, it affects more people because the healthcare workers are human too. They have gone through the, the ups and downs and the toils of the pandemic, just like everyone else, but working through it and taking care of really sick people. Um, and I think all of us kind of feel like, oh my gosh, like this is a deja vu that I, I am not prepared to to live through again. And have you seen colleagues who've just decided, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to get a different kind of job. I think that people, yes, people are leaving, and it's not just physicians, right? It's nurses, it's respiratory therapists. This is a team sport, and the team is exhausted, and there's no reinforcements coming. This is it. And so we are relying on our fellow, you know, Americans to do the things that we can do to curb it because. When you're really sick and you need help, whether it's COVID or not, like I gave the example of the 24-week pregnancy four hours from here who really wants to deliver that baby with us because that baby actually has a fighting chance here, will that bed be available to you? And if we all don't do our part, the, the downstream consequences are severe. I want to go back to the phone lines. Um, Joe is calling from Kirkwood. Um, hi, Joe. You're on St. Louis on the air. I think Thanks for taking my call, and I, I know this is a tough question, but does the doctor think that any time in the future that hospitals might be turning away patients that are not protected against COVID-19 with a vaccination? Joe, thank you for that question. So hospitals would say, hey, you had the chance to get this. You didn't. This isn't our problem. So I think that's a really tough question, and, and it's one that I have struggled with because I think that in medicine, we are trained, and I embrace this. I really try to be empathetic 
for my patients because oftentimes I have not walked in their shoes. So, you know, I will diagnose a patient with gonorrhea or chlamydia who feels so horrible about the diagnosis. And I, I, you know, will try to make, you know, make them feel better and say, you know what the most commonly transmitted STD is that a lot of people have? It's pregnancy and we don't judge them. So you're all right. You know, and they'll laugh and we'll talk about how to, how to protect them in the future. But I try really hard not to judge my patients. And I think really hard about what is different with COVID. Healthcare workers in large part are angry and upset. And I feel like there is judgment because it's like, if you would just get vaccinated and wear a mask, we could all get out of this and everybody is mad. And I'm like, what is the difference? And I I don't completely have the answer to that, but I, I do say that every day, even though I am frustrated and I feel like the word is not getting out and I don't know if my counseling is changing one heart or mind, I still strive to show up every day, regardless of the decisions that my patients have made, and show up and give them the best care that I possibly can. And it's hard, and I am human, and I get angry too. Um, but I, I think that that's what we're called to do, and it's what we strive to do. Um, I am going to keep trying to do my part, um, regardless of what other people do. Mm. Well, Joe, thank you for that question. It, it certainly opens an interesting debate right there. Dr. Carter, you talked about how you can feel some of that anger, you can feel that frustration, but you continue to serve these patients. It was interesting. You had just a, a really well-written, eye-opening blog post talking about your experience dealing with some of these pregnant COVID patients. And the way you explained it, some of them are, are angry and they kind of lash out at you as you're caring for them. That's got to add a whole nother level layer, why would that be the reaction they're having at this point? Have you thought about, you know, what, what's going on in their head that they they end up being angry? I have. I actually wrote that blog post after a week that I just described, where I've been counseling all week and then in the ICU all weekend, and I had been treated so poorly that by um, in this clinical scenario where a patient was just like yelling, cussing, fussing, and angry. And I really appreciate the trauma-informed training that I have because it says that when a patient is doing crazy things and, and cussing and fussing and, and you're just like, we want to say, what is wrong with you? you reframe the thought in your head to say, what happened to you? Because people don't wake up in the morning wanting to act nuts and and be mean, right? Like something happened that triggered that. And so I try to keep that in mind. And I also try to remember that for most of these patients, this should be one of the happiest times in their lives. Like you kind of envision what it's going to be like as you're delivering your baby and, and all of the beautiful trimmings that happen with that. And if instead you're gasping for air, without the people that you love, you know, like your other children or whatever close to you, and you're scared about what's going to happen. People, when they're sick and don't feel well, lash out in really interesting ways. So I try to keep that in perspective. I've done a lot of writing during the the pandemic. I've done blogs and podcasts and whatever. And I will tell you, it is my therapy. Mm. It's been therapeutic because after that situation with the patient who got, was pretty mean and got super sick, um, I couldn't sleep. Like I, I was so tired and, and I just couldn't sleep. And I got up and I wrote that blog as a way just to get all of the anger and frustration and, and process and hopefully turn it into something that was good because it really was a piece to take people into those rooms with me and see what I was seeing. And I don't know how you could see that and not think that vaccination is a better choice than that. 
Boy, I think you make a good point there. I think it was just a really eye-opening piece of writing. I'm going to make sure we get that up on our Twitter for anybody who'd be interested in reading that. That's at STL on air. We'll also get that up on our website, a link to that, so that people can read this for themselves. And I hope people take your words to heart today. And with everything you have going on, uh, Dr. Ebony Carter, I have to say thank you so much for making the time to, to share these insights. Thank you so much for having me and for helping to get the word out. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.